Repeat the topic with me today, please. Say gifted, gifted. To, be to be responsible. My big question today is pretty simple. Next week, I'm going to have another issue. I'm going to change up on you a little bit. I'm changing this sermon direction from last week. And I just pray about it. And if it changes, it changes. You know, I try to organize. But if it changes, it changes, right? So go, if you go to the bottom of the sermon notes, uh, I'm going to be talking next week about gifted to go forward when politics is confusing. Somebody says, that's going to be a good one. You need to do that today. No, I want to respond next week. And I, I, I feel that that's the right way. And so I'll, I have a very unique way I'm going to do that. So you'll come next week and you'll see my, my way of doing that. But I'm not going to say it now. Another series I'm working on is called Gifted to Build a New Model. What you're going to learn, and that's not in your notes, so you can write that down, but it's Gifted to Build a New Model. I've been talking about Gifted to be Strong, Gifted to be able to deal with the un, Gifted to deal with the unexpected. Um, <coughs> And a lot of things I've been talking about, <coughs> excuse me, has been focused on, <coughs> excuse me, that's the anointing, I think. That's what that is. Every now and then you feel the anointing in your life. So you just take a little swig. <coughs> See, that's why I don't drink. See, you saw, if, I was, if that was alcohol, I'd be in trouble right about now, wouldn't I? <coughs> just drink some water. Ah, oh, if I see Diane, that'll really clear my throat. <coughs> That's called love. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. Work it out. Work it out. <clears throat> when I look at the model that we use in the world, the model, the example we use, I don't think that the model we use is always working. I think sometimes you have to start at a different place when you look back at what you've done. And so in today's teaching, I want you to repeat the topic with me one more time. Say, gifted, gifted. To, be to be responsible. In this sermon series, my goal is to show you how to be gifted. I want to show you the power of being a gifted person. And I want to focus on the word responsible. You are called to be responsible. When I finish with this, in a couple of weeks, I looked to launch into this whole idea of gifted to have a new model. I want you to have a new way. I want to show you a new way to live your life. Because I, I believe that we're gifted to change. Sometimes the model that we've been living it hasn't worked right. There are a lot of things in it, a lot of elements in it that didn't quite come together. And so I want to show you how you can build a new model. There are people that had great ideas, they didn't quite work out, they didn't give up, they didn't surrender, they failed, some of them, but they got up and created a new model from the brokenness they went through. They learned how to do the business from failing in the business. They learned how to hire people from hiring the wrong people. They learned a lot. And so I want to show you how to build a new model. And I want to spend the rest of the year, I believe, working through that, showing you models of people who succeeded, who failed, and who, in the Bible, who did it right, did it wrong. And, and I want you to not feel bad because you, didn't, you had the wrong model for 20 years or 30 years. I want you to be glad you got a future in front of you. I want to show you that, but that's, that's down the road. But today, I want to focus on one word. Everybody say responsible. responsible. There is a verse in the Bible that I think really 
makes a statement, and I want to cheat a little bit here. If you can allow me to go to Matthew chapter 5 in your notes, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. And I want to skip all the way down to the verse 14 of Matthew 5. I know verse 13 is there too, but let me go to verse 14. It's in your notes under number 1, take responsibility for being a light. Notice what it says in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. Read it with me, please. Say, you are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are a light. You are a light. Say with me, please. Say, I am a light. This whole discussion in Matthew 5 is one of the most fascinating discussions because when you listen to what he says, he dumps a lot of responsibility on us. He looks at the disciples and he says, guys, you are the salt of the earth. That's big. Just think if somebody looked at you and said, you are the salt of Savannah. You are the light of Savannah. You are the light of your company. You are the salt of where you work. Imagine the weight of that feeling. It's your responsibility. It's up to you and nobody else. That is a transformative statement that makes you go, wow, me. One day when you wake up and you have a child, the first day you wake up and you look at your baby, you know what you say? Wow. When you get married, you look over at that woman, you go, wow, you look at that man. There's a feeling of responsibility. When you're that teacher, that first day in the classroom, wow. There are moments in your life when you start your own business and you look at the company, you say, if I don't make it today, there's no money going to be made today. Everybody say, wow. It's amazing how emotional that is. And there are a lot of people who don't know what to do with that. They don't know how to process that moment. Jesus looks at them and says, you are the light. You are the salt of the earth. But if you go to the top of your notes, he models something first. He says, I'm like you. If you look at the top of it, he says in verse 8 and 12 of John, John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but they have the light of life. John 9, 5 says this, as long as I'm in the world, I am the what? Light of the world. He says, listen, guys, I'm not just telling you to be light. I am. I'm a light, and I take full responsibility for being that. Now, here's what happens in people's minds, especially Christians. When they hear certain things, they think certain ways. For a Christian, this sounds like some kind of modeling job. That I stroll in and I look holy for people. This is about a holy walk, a holy look. And, I, you know, and as a preacher, you know, you go through this thing. <laughs> I, I, and I really didn't know how to do this. I, I, but there's a preacher, man of God look. Hi there. How are you? Good to see you. Bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's this thing you got to do. I don't know. It's just this <laughs> try to work it out, you know. And when I first, you know, I used to just, when I first started praying for people in public, laying hands, I, you know, I would just, Father, I pray, you know, I just pray. Well, you can't pray like that. There's no anointing in that. I got to shake or something. So I started shaking like everybody else. I mean, you just, really, I'm, not, I'm, being, I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, I, you really have, a, you have pressure. You don't do it anywhere else. 
You don't go to your children, bring me the bacon, please. You don't do that, right? But when you're, when you're man of God, when you're in, okay, hang with me. There's something about this light thing. You know, I'm supposed to be a, some kind of model. And, and so I, I don't know. Um, I remember my aunt, she, she, was, um, she, <laughs> she asked me to, to do this modeling thing one time down this runway. And my aunt, Sadie, she's really been into politics and she was, Anyway, she did, she did a lot of political stuff and in Santa Ana, California. And so she asked me to be on, on one of those, uh, what do you call them? Run, what's the name? What do you call it? Fashion shows, right? And, and so I said, well, we're modeling um, some kind of attire. And so I, I said, okay, but I didn't know what I was saying okay to. I, in my head, I didn't think I'm going to walk in front of people. I know. I didn't get it. So I put on the clothes and backstage, and I walked out, and all those people were doing just like you're doing, looking at me. And you know what I did? I walked out there, and I walked right back. <laughs> I did not stop. You know, you're supposed to stop and do all that. I didn't. Hey, man, it was zoom, zoom. And I went out one time. Everybody said, one time. That's it. I wasn't going back. <laughs> I, I decided up for something I didn't understand. A lot of times when you read the, word, the Bible, when it says, be a light of the world, be the star of the world, that's how we think. And so everywhere we go, we're trying to be a light for Jesus, which translates into telling people how to live, telling people what's wrong with them, telling them to join your church, telling them they're not saved, telling them they need Christ. Being a light is, is something about modeling perfection. That's, and that's how it translates in our lives. And we think that's our responsibility. That, that somehow... I'm supposed to model perfection. Problem is you're not perfect. I mean, you're growing and you got a few areas in your life you can kind of brag about and say, hey, I don't do this anymore or that anymore or cuss is bad or whatever. And you have these things you can say, but the reality is on your own, it just doesn't go quite as well as you want it to. But it doesn't matter. Jesus still said it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to be the salt, to be the light. And then he makes this broad statement to the whole earth. Be these guys for a minute who grew up, you know, fishing and living in, they didn't travel more than 75 miles or so in their life from here to Brunswick. I mean, just think about it. And now all of a sudden he says, you guys are going to touch the whole world. They've never even seen the whole world. He calls them to something they couldn't do. He gives them a responsibility that they alone could not attain. And let me just tell you, if you're trying to be a light for Jesus, if you're trying to be the salt of the earth on your own, you're going to have a hard life doing it by yourself. Jesus takes a step in John 15. He says, without me, you can do nothing. It doesn't work. So here's what we do. We, we divide into these different groups. Become Baptists because they do it better. Or sometimes we slide over to Pentecostal because they do it better. And then we become a Catholic because... Maybe they did it a long time, got some great moves. So we, we try to figure out where I can be a light. Some of you become theologically perfectionist, like I used to be. You know, I've been to school for this, so I've got, got some training. And so, you know, and I know the, some Greek words, and pow, I can whip it out on you and let you know how dumb you are and how smart I am, and that's being a light. Let me embarrass you. Let me meet me a Jehovah's Witness that doesn't, think like I think and let me just whip them down with the Bible I'm a kung fu Bible artist and that's being a light 
Or being a light is coming to church and staying as long as the preacher say. That's being a light. Being a light is fill in the blanks. Talking to people a certain way. Forcing Christ on, I don't know, you have your own summation of it all. But the problem is, if you look at the long term, it doesn't work well when we do it our own way. Jesus really is key to being a light. In him was life, and his life was the light of all men. See, really, trying to be a light for Jesus and trying to do it by yourself without Christ working in you doesn't work. You know what makes a great basketball player? He plays all the time. He dribbles without thought. He shoots without thought. There's something about him. Same thing in martial arts. In martial arts, it's all about having, being, you work out so much that you move, you move without thought. You block, you strike without thought. There's not much thought about it. You come a certain way, I just know what my feet move. There's a, there's a, there's, I position myself. Because it's natural. Trying to be a life for Jesus and you never spend time with Jesus, this doesn't work. Coming in here, getting a sprinkle of God every now and then and a Bible verse every now and then and, and learning a couple of fine, fancy religious terms doesn't make you strong in the Lord and it doesn't make you a light. Getting people to come join our church, is not a, is, that's not being a light. There's more to being a light than that. If you really understand basketball, it's a thinking man's game. It's, it's strategy. It's not just discipline physically. It's strategy. It's outsmarting people. It's, it, it, there's something about combining physical ability with brains that makes you amazing. Amen. You cannot be effectively a, as a, a light for Christ if your definition of being a light is about dressing in religious words and phrases and, and somehow that is what people want. Let me help you. They can see beneath that. Because what they do is just pull the cover back a little bit and they'll see you on a bad day. And they'll know there's not much Jesus in there. They can hear you on a bad, a bad moment, you and your spouse, and they know there's not much Jesus in there. They, they, when, when you owe them money and you don't call and at least make arrangements, they know there's not much Holy Ghost in there. They see you. You always get in the way of the light. Doesn't matter, though, because he says it's still your responsibility. Well, this is special. I'm the light of the world, but I'm flawed. I'm the salt of the earth, but I'm flawed. If you look under the part where it says you are salt in verse 13, I made a note for you. It says you must never lose God's flavor. That's how the Message Bible says it. When he says I'm the salt of the earth, that means that when people taste me, they taste God's flavor. Is, is, that, is that what people feel when they come to church? Sometimes no. When he said you are the light of the world, <laughs> that's special. He said you're set on a hill. I'm going to put you up so high that you can't be hidden. I don't want anybody to be confused. I want you seen. Flaws or not. I want you to understand it's your responsibility. Imperfect or not, I want you to stand up here and I want people to see you. You will not be hidden. Say that with me, please. Say, I cannot be hidden. And the Bible says, my responsibility is to give light to all around me. Everybody's looking. Wow. Charles Stanley made a point that I thought was profound when he talked about this whole idea of, of being a light and being a believer. And 
And he, he, in discussing this whole idea in the series he did on happiness, he made a statement. It touched me deeply this week when he, he said, in quoting John 10 and 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they might have life. That they might have it more what? Taking responsibility for the flavors that we've, we've created. Taking responsibility for my role in the world. My responsibility in the world is to be a light. The question is, if I'm responsible, how well did I do? Did I create flavors? Did I create an environment where people taste God? Or did I create an environment where people don't feel God or don't see God? Because of my imperfections, have I done something that has stopped people? What, what's, what's, what's hindered me from doing what he's called me to do? Is this something that sort of uh, just happened in this election right now? Did it just, just happen? Here we are supposed to be the light to the world as a country, right? America feels like it's our responsibility to be the salt of the earth. We do. Oh, yeah, we feel that way. We feel we're special people. We are. There's a lot about us that you can brag about, a lot about us you can say. But Andy Stanley, in commenting about this whole idea of being responsible, being a light, how we got to where we are, he, he, he talks about taking responsibility for the flavors we've created. He says, some things we've created, some flavors we've created, we created. And here's what he says. He quotes the verse, John 10, 10, the thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He asked, he asked this question, who in your life was the biggest enemy that did the most damage to you? Who, did, who in your life was not responsible and did the most damage to you? Now, in quoting John 10 and 10, we always say the devil. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We've always, you know, it's just always a common answer. But correctly, he says, he, he says, if we want to be honest, we have been our worst enemy. Here's how he said it. We signed it. We leased it. We bought it. We dated it. We slept with it. And then we married it. If you're really honest, if you look in the mirror, and if you're telling the truth, it wasn't an evil spirit. You know, what, well, the, no, I'm the pastor. The devil came in and tricked me. He, okay, okay, well, okay. Right. Everything that's happened in your life has nothing to do with you. So I want you to understand how we do that. It has nothing to do with the choice I made. It has, it's always somebody came in and overpowered me and made me kiss that man. Somebody else made me make those choices. When I heard that comment, I, I took a deep breath in and thought, that is good. If I'm really honest, I did sign it, I did lease it, I did make those choices. I said those words. You're stuck back with Flip Wilson if you're not careful. The devil made me do it. And you never take any responsibility. You never own anything. But for a moment, Jesus said, you are the light, you are the salt. Take responsibility for that. And, and, and then ask yourself, how have I done? 
I've worked against myself. My own health, my own choices. Sometimes I should have just been quiet. Take a day to think about it. Don't respond so fast. Don't, don't hold the grudge. Don't blame the person. Sometimes they didn't have what they, I needed. They couldn't help me. But then I want to close with a final thought. Sometimes taking responsibility for how we developed is really at the feet of religious culture. Religious culture has influenced us. It's influenced how we become light. It influences our flavors in ways that I've never imagined. This is not in your notes, but let me just say as a side, well, let me just follow the note for you because I want, I want to make the point. It is there for me. If you, if you can just, let me list for you five things. I want to get off. I want to stay on task. There's, there's five things I listed here that describe how religious culture impacts us. Culture is important. There is a temple culture. There's a way the temples think. There's a way we, you can come to our house and you can see it. There, there are things that are important to me. Why? I can figure it out sometimes, but there's just some things that are really, really important to me. And, and when you're in a religious environment, they teach you things and they make you see things a certain way. So let me list the five. Religious culture teaches us religious favoritism. Can you say religious favoritism? favoritism. You're a Baptist, that's a favorite, or you're a Pentecostal, or either you are a Catholic. You got your favorite kind of thing rolling. And that's okay. I mean, I think it's okay. I don't think God gets upset because you choose strawberry, vanilla, or whatever. Let me make you really uncomfortable. Some people will never be baptized or dipped. They're going to be sprinkled. What do you think? I like to dip you down. I think it means dip, baptizo. But some people aren't going to do that. So why would I spend all my life worrying about that? So I'm not going to love you because of that. For some people, their favorite is to have a man pastor, not a woman pastor. Okay, so what? I think it's fine either way. But it's up to you. Flavors, choices, doctrinal points of emphasis. Everybody does that. Some of you cook with paprika. Some of you would never cook with it. <laughs> People have different flavors. But what you have to understand is religious culture teaches you to have favoritism. And to somehow assume you are right and everybody else is wrong. That everybody else is a believer in Jesus is wrong, but your interpretation or how it should be applied. Don't you have a strong way? Yeah, of course I think I'm right. But I deal with people who think I'm wrong. I have to manage that. And if I don't, I'm going to be very narrow-minded and alone. Secondly, religious culture teaches us worship favoritism. It teaches a method of, of, of preferred worship. For example, Jesus did not have, and this may shock you, a worship team. Just imagine when Jesus came, right? This is how some of you imagine Jesus would come into, the, into, into uh, to, to preaching. The disciples would come up, Peter, James, John, all the guys, and they'd do a couple worship songs. Da, Jerusalem or whatever, right? And then, then Peter would get up and say, now we're going to have the man of God who's going to be the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings 
Jesus Christ is going to come up and he's going to sing. But before we do, we're going to have a couple of announcements. We're going to have a baptism down at the Jordan River. When all of you that want to be baptized have not been baptized, come up and show up. And the rest of you, we're going to have a communion service. It's going to be the last supper before we die. We want you to come out for that. Make sure you come prepared. We're going to have a lot of food and everybody's going to donate. Make sure you potluck and bring it in. Sign up over there with Timothy. Watch out for Judas. He will steal your food. You know what I'm saying? Do you see? And now we have Jesus coming up. And then Jesus, you know, Jesus come up, right? Jesus. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, we're going to kick the devil down. I'm going to die on the cross. but I'm gonna... No, it wasn't like that. And at the end, they dismiss. By your heads, we're leaving the Mount of Olives. Okay, we'll see you guys next week before the cross. You know what I mean? Come on. We, we did this. There's nothing wrong with organizing the way we've organized. There's nothing wrong with structure. People need structure. I get that. But it's hard for us to imagine that it wasn't exactly like this. First of all, they didn't have a building. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have lights. They didn't have TV cameras. They didn't have streaming. Peter didn't have to say, all right, all of you that are streaming in to the Mount of Olives, we're glad you're with us today. None of that was necessary. Things change. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. But what religious culture teaches us, it teaches us that somehow this is the right way and the only way to do it. So when the methods change, we get frustrated. And it's changing. Technology is changing it all. And we are frustrated and nervous by it. Number three, got to move on. Religious culture teaches us economic boundaries. Can you say economic boundaries? Amen. It prefers that we do not focus on building wealth. You do not learn in the church how to build wealth. You learn how to give money. There's a difference. The focus is give, 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 give. Not on you prospering and having resources that I don't get to get. You get to get them and keep them. That somehow that's the wrong way to think. We really get confused. I heard a guy teaching the other day, doing a great job. He was teaching, teaching so well on balancing and, and giving, and, 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 and he, but he I, this is my view. He struggles, we all struggle with balancing, teaching you to give, and teaching you to build wealth. We make you feel guilty. We have a hard time talking to business people. They get confused when they listen to us. So can I be really eager about making money and being happy about it and building wealth? Is it okay for me to have a few million dollars and not give it to you? Is it okay for me to really be okay? Can I have a nice car? Can I, can I build? Can that be the dream to double my business? And it's not an unspiritual decision. Must I apologize to you and somehow make up some excuse for what I have and not take you to my house or drive you to my car or, or tell you where I'm going on vacation because it might bother you? Can I tell you I want to hire 50 new people? Can I tell you that I want to I build some jobs? That's my dream for overcoming by faith. I want to hire some more people. I want to build businesses. I want to shake this town. Come on, say amen if you hear me. I don't want to be just coasting, surviving, just enough. Think about the joke they make. Yeah, you got to be rich to go there. What does that mean? No, you got to be poor to go here. I want everybody broke in here. I want everybody to come here and be broke. See, notice, notice. This, this, listen, let me tell you, let me give you a little clue. This is why some of you will never be blessed. Some of us will never have anything. I, when people say things like this, ah, money, money, coming in the house. Look who coming with the money. You got some money. Give me some money. Give me some money. Loan me some. Or when they come to your house and they go, woo, la, get God about it, Jesus. See, stay home. 
stay home. Don't come over here again. Just tell me, hey, man, I'm going to say this. I got to finish. I can spend. You get it. We are told in Scripture that we sow our way to where we want to be, Galatians 6 and 7. We sow our way to where we want to be. You have to invest your time, invest your money, and believe in it. And I think we work against people in business. I think we work against entrepreneurs. We create an environment that makes it difficult. I understand something that's really important. I, a friend of mine, I, I, I got to show you this real quick. It, it, it's a book, Tim, Timothy Keller. If you're, you want to read with me, I'm going to put this up as a book I'm reading because I like to let you know what I'm reading. It helps you think with me. Timothy Keller wrote a book. I was talking to a guy just the other day. And he told me, he said, Pastor Rick, you, you recommended a book to me that was amazing. He said, this book changed my life. He said, it helped me. Timothy Keller wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. And it really, it, it, the first book he wrote was called Your Work Matters to God. Here's what he basically says. Christians create the environment that says that what you do outside of Christian work is not really valuable. That what you need to do is somehow become a preacher. That the, full, the best calling in life is to be a full-time <laughs> minister. And so you got all these people running to be the, in the ministry full time, even when they can't afford it. And their families are suffering, and they're, and, they're, and they're making a little bit of money, and they're walking, riding around in a car, looking like a preacher, and they ain't got no money, and they're broke. That, that, he says, is ridiculous. Because God, from the very beginning, gave man a job. And the real, and I don't believe that I have the most important job in the world. I don't measure myself against a single parent raising four kids by themselves. I don't measure myself against somebody, a daddy, who's struggling working all those hours. I don't say I have the best job in the world. I have a great job, a wonderful job, but it's not the best job. I don't believe God's going to say, Ricky Temple, you first when the blessings come. I believe he might call that grandmama who worked all of her life and struggled all of her life. I believe that God honors people who make a little bit of money with a good attitude. Come on, say amen. See, there's something, there's something about the way Christian culture teaches you to think. You're not giving your best in your job and in your life. You're not giving your best in life. You're waiting for some revelation from God. Show me what to do. Do something. Stop waiting for somebody to give you something. Go get it. Can you say amen? If you... Come on, say amen so I'll get done. I got to end this thing. excited number four religious culture teaches us I'm almost done to be anti-business church not a business trying to run like a business trying to be too organized well let's just be scattered let's just act like let everything just go I'll come back to that lastly religious culture teaches us Confusing thought processes. Can you read that with me, please? Come on. I put in bold prints. Confusing thought processes that complicate decisions. You don't know what to do. You know, one of the common questions I get is, I don't know what, 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 what is God's will for me. I've been praying. I'm a fast, starve myself to death, almost die. And then God, gonna, God ain't going to tell me. He's going to say, fast. Wait for four, four years, 30 days fasting, and I might day. How's that working for you? Do you think God really spoke to me and says, Thus saith the Lord, temple thou shalt preach? No. You know what happened? I preached, people liked it, and I kept on preaching. And then people started coming. 
The day you stop coming is the day I stop preaching. <laughs> if it ain't working, you ain't got to worry about me. I'm leaving too. <laughs> what? Why would I stay? Please. I told y'all I ain't playing. I'm very serious. I'm, I'm, I'm true, blue, and honest. What in the world? You say, you mean to tell me God call you? The word call really means vocation, you know, vocation, career, job, all that word historically. A lot of people, a lot of people get really confused. God's not trying to confuse you. He's trying to empower you. He's trying to bless you. Politics may try to confuse you. You don't know who to vote for. You got all, well, some of y'all say, you know, I know who to vote for. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't know what to do. But let me tell you what to say. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now. You can, you can end all this by not letting Christian culture confuse you. Listen, Jesus is fine. The culture can be confusing, but he wants you to think, use your mind, and pick a direction. And when you go, if you're going the wrong way, he'll push you in the right way. Just make a decision and take charge of your life. I got to end this. Did you learn something today? I'm done. Praise God. I got to stop. I got to stop. Father, I thank you for what we've said today. Thank you for the word and for all that we've accomplished. May your word bring life to us today. I honor you and I give you all the praise and all the glory. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for giving us this call with every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, Pastor Rick, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I want, though, Pastor, you to pray for me. Start a life with Jesus today. I want to get my life going in the right direction spiritually. Would you please, if you're hearing, that's you. Every head bowed, every eye closed for your privacy. I want you simply to raise your hands and pray for me. My walk with God. I need to start a walk with God today, Pastor. What you say spoke to me? I see one, two, three. I see four. I see five. Anybody else? I want to start a walk. Six more hands. Thank you. Father, touch all these whose hands are up and those whose hearts are lifted. I pray, God, that your spirit would touch them today. In the name of Jesus, let this be the beginning of a new day. The beginning of a new walk. And we thank you for it. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I want to pray for one other group. There are people who've been hanging around here a long time and never been a part of the family, never joined in. I pray that this will be the day they say, you know, I need to make a step. I need to be a part of this fellowship. I want to be here. I want to be in this fight Pastor's talking about. I want to make a difference in the world. Father, I pray if there are people here, number one, who are willing to surrender their life, they're willing to live right, they're willing to come to Jesus with their imperfections and say, but Lord, I want to live right before you. I secondly, Lord, I want to make sure that I am I am, I am serving others. If there are people in this room who want to serve others, they want to make a difference in the life of some group or some, some need in our community, then I want them to consider joining this church. So if they want to surrender their life, if they want to serve others, and then thirdly, if they want to sow seed, they want to give. They want to be givers. They want to be a part of the financial part of what we're doing. They want to honor God and say, Lord, I want to put my money in there too. I want them to consider joining this church. And lastly, if they want to show up, they got to come. They can't just watch. They can't just join and wait for them, you know, down the road. They got to come and hang out with us, either online or in person. And make an effort to try to come at least twice a week, a month, if they can, or more. Try, try to be here. And Father, as a family, we lift our hands. Lift your hands. Father, I pray for them in Jesus' name. May this be a day they make that decision. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody say, Amen. Now, here's what I want.